um, part of that group of kids is why we're encouraging you to uh, take that next step in life at Merge. Uh, before too long, they're going to have all the control back there, and we don't know what to do with that. Um, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to two places. We're going to go Psalm 107, uh, and then we're going to go Romans 8. We're going to get to Romans 8 toward the end, um, but 107 is where we're going to start. Uh, I, I believe, uh, first of all, let me, I want to thank Chris for um, covering for me uh, last week as, as I was out of town. Uh, we caught you on the live stream, and so we were really excited about um, watching um, from there. Uh, I wish there was more people heckling him uh, on the stream, but there wasn't. So, um, but, but I'm appreciative for that. Uh, I missed you guys. It feels weird when I'm not around. Uh, and so, um, but, but I, I believe, let's start here. I believe one of the greatest gifts that we have in life uh, is the Word of God. I, I truly believe that, uh, mainly because in these pages we have a way to connect with God in just a variety of ways. And so, so we, we find really in a few places uh, that the greatest of all of the commandments is that we would simply, as we read the Word of God, is that we would simply love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. And, and as I read my Bible, uh, I find my Heavenly Father providing ways to woo me towards him through his words and in the in the ways that I, I connect with them and then secondly in the ways that I connect uh, with him in fact uh, every page in the Bible is this invitation to love God more and more as he just displays his love for us and you know what I what I long uh, or when I long to connect my soul and my mind there's specific places uh, that I'll go um, when I'm trying to connect at a soul or a mind level, I'll spend some time in the New Testament, uh, and I'll, I'll follow the footsteps of Jesus as he, as he rescues my soul from certain and painful deaths separated, uh, from the love of God. And in fact, uh, all that really follows after the gospels are just this encouragement of, of how to live in the light of all that Jesus, uh, has done for us. In fact, uh, the New Testament, I think, is, is, is almost greatly reflected in Psalm 23, uh, verse 3, where it says that he restores my soul. Uh, we get to see these promises of God play themselves out uh, in powerful ways. When, when I uh, am longing to connect uh, with the strength uh, that's required in living in the light of the gospel, I, I, I go to the, to the Old Testament, and I, I think it's a great source to go digging. Uh, in fact, in those pages, we find uh, just the story of those who have come before us as, as God just pours out his heart for them. In fact, some of the chapters of their story are inspiring, while others serve as just these, these warnings of, of steps to, to be avoided. And, and I think so much of the Old Testament serves as, as a case study on what God desires for us as we live in the holiness uh, that, that he provides for us. And but when we come to the Psalms, uh, this book, it, it holds a, a special place uh, because when I long to connect with God at a, at a heart level, uh, I, I find the Psalms serve uh, as a well that just, it just never runs dry. Uh, that, that every time I can go to the Psalms, I, I, am, I am found there. Um, I, I 
find what I am looking for there. Uh, in fact, in the in the 150 chapters, we, we kind of run through the gauntlet of human emotions, all looking toward God in either, in either delight or, or longing for relief. And, and I'm very easily found in the Psalms, no matter what season of life uh, I'm walking in with God. Because can we agree that, that life is seasonal, um, that, that not every day is the same one? Uh, especially with with God, and so so I started 2021 spending some time uh, in the Psalms, and and when I started, I didn't really have a plan to go like one to 150 or a Psalm a day. I just kind of read until I was like, okay, that I feel full, uh, and it's somewhere along the way. I don't know. I don't know how I got here. Honestly, I can't remember. Uh, but when I, I arrived at Psalm 107, and and when I got there. It just took me weeks to kind of work my way through. And the longer I spent time in those pages, uh, in those verses, the longer I thought, man, this is something that I would love for us to be able to walk through together. Uh, Because in this psalm, we find just a variety of, of, of things when it comes to how we respond to God's love. And I think uh, the hardest part has been kind of showing patience uh, of finishing off some of the things that we were talking about uh, as we arrive to to this morning. So so here's kind of my plan for the next couple weeks. Uh, God willing and prayerfully, we're going to work through Psalm 107 together. Uh, in fact, I believe along the way we're going to find similar seasons that are described uh, in our own lives as it's laid out in these verses. And, and then we're going to see a path that's being laid out for us seeing God do incredible things in our hearts, and then uh, secondly, around our hearts. Uh, and so let's let's do that. Let's let's slow down. Let's stop. Let's pray, and then let's go. Psalm one hundred seven. Father, we thank you firstly for the love that you've given us in Jesus, and then specifically in this moment, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that you write to us so that we're not left wondering how we live and then how we please you. So Father, I pray as we get started in Psalm 107, I I pray, I pray that we would listen to your Holy Spirit teach us. I pray you would guard our hearts from ourselves and that today we would be able to respond in an even clearer way to to your love. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. All right, so so let me tell you, we're we're 107. uh, 107 arrives in this line of some psalms that are basically history lessons uh, for, for Israel to remember as their story collides with the story that God's been telling through them, right? So if we went just a few back, the emphasis on on Psalm 105 is on Israel's exodus from Egypt, and then 106 is about God's long-suffering care of His people, and and this psalm is springboarded um, with a focus on on the Lord's redemption of the nation as they were held captive in Babylon. It's it's like this: Hey, remember this moment, right? Don't forget. This moment, and this is what we do. We we build these these in, in biblical terms. We build these things called Ebenezer's. 
in our lives where we we build these monuments and we say god brought me through to get to this point and what it does is is as you progress and it seems like life is getting more difficult you have these places that you can look back on and you say he didn't he didn't abandon me there and he brought me through there and he did this for me here and they serve to give us confidence to continue walking regardless of the season of our lives and and so when we get to psalm 105 106 107 it's simply this this lesson of saying hey remember what god has done for you remember what god has done for you remember what god has promised you and as he promises he delivers on those promises and you don't have to look very far other than just your story and so when we get to to 107 this psalm it, it springs springboard for this focus on what God has done for the nation of of Israel as they were captive in in Babylon and and while the circumstances in 107 uh, could be experienced by almost anyone I'm telling you you'll find yourself in in these verses in the coming weeks they especially apply to what Israel had to endure while they were in captivity in fact the psalmist is going to begin by urging us to give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his mercy and then He's going to end up closing with this by exhorting us to be wise and to learn from the mistakes of our ancestors. And really, he's going to be able to look at us and say, hey, learn from your own mistakes here. And so, so the people described in this psalm uh, needed God's help, either because of their own folly or, or because of circumstances that are beyond their control. But we're going to see this pattern kind of play out. They, they find themselves in trouble they call out to the Lord, He delivers them, okay? That's what we're going to see for the next five weeks after, after this week. We're going to see this played out. They find themselves in trouble, they call out to the Lord, and He delivers them. In fact, the focus will be five specific situations uh, being described in, involving these people who lose something valuable, okay? So, so now that's, that's the academic approach to 107, okay? But, but what I find as I read this is not just something for a history lesson. Uh, what, what I find in these verses are more penetrating than that. Uh, what I find here is a call for the people of God to worship. In fact, this is, this is a song leader who's beckoning other people to join him as he, is, he has tasted the goodness of God and he has known the steadfast love of God and now all that is left is worship. That's it. He's traced back in his own heart in these stories that are passed from ancestor to ancestor. And he combines them with, with what he's discovered personally. And all that's left is the worship of God who is steadfast in rescuing and, and intimate uh, with his people and, and now what I hope what I hope comes from our time in 107 is is an understanding how each season of our life is an opportunity to reveal the anchor of our life uh, in fact um, there's going to be a choice like I said there's a choice that's going to be made in each of the five situations that reveal the true condition of our hearts um, either as we experience them we will do either this or we will either do that uh, and so, so, so more than that, though, what I, what I hope we're going to see is that we can face both storms and deserts with courage and trust in Jesus. Because this is what I'm finding as I spend even more time 
um, in this psalm and then even in this season of life that I'm in, that it is entirely possible for, for sorrow and joy to reside in the same place. Okay? It is. Uh, and this isn't a, well, you just need to be more optimistic and less, pessimi- less pessimistic situation. It's saying that, that both of these things can be true in your life and you can walk with God through the thick of it with both of them. And so, so and this is what we find our, where we find ourselves in Psalm 107. But all we're going to do today is, is walk through the first three verses, okay? In fact, verses 1 through 3 uh, have this call to worship. Uh, and then what we're going to do is we're going to see why those verses can be trusted uh, in this very moment of our lives. And so, so let's go. Uh, Psalm 107, verse 1. Uh, the psalmist starts by saying this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Okay, so, so what we have here is this great progression that's found in three verses. Okay, and I'm not going to tell you anything that's super deep because we're just going to walk through it because it's very plainly listed, right? So the psalmist first gives us something to do. He gives us an instruction. And the instruction is simply this. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. And now, now if, we, if, if we were just told to give thanks, that would, that would really, honestly, require a level of trust uh, with a stranger where I think we would struggle because we don't have any relational connection with the psalmist. We don't even know his name, right? And so, so fortunately, we're not left struggling to take a, a stranger's word for it. What he's going to do is he's going to quickly take a back seat. He's not going to try to give you his credentials. Like, hey, give thanks to the Lord because I know thi- these things about him, because I am educated about him. In fact, what he's going to do, he's going to say, give thanks to the Lord, and then he's going to take a step back, and he's going to bring God forward, and he's going to say, this is why. So our next question, okay? If we're supposed to give thanks to the Lord... The question is, is, is why do we give thanks to him? And the psalmist says, well, because he's good. <laughs> he's good. Now, we might be at a point here in, in trusting this stranger by responding, okay, gotcha, I understand what you're telling me to do. You say he's good, but how? How is he good? I mean, because isn't, isn't good a, a relative term? Uh, in fact, especially in, in our society, especially in our day, what's considered good today may not be considered good tomorrow. And so, and I think this is one of the biggest changes in, in what the world offers and what God brings, right? Because with Him, what is good will always be good. It, it's never shifting with the waves of the day. So, so He displays and He declares what is good so that we're not left wavering in seasons of our lives. And so, so, so we're to give thanks because God is good. But the question that follows is, is how is his goodness experienced by his people? And what the psalmist will say is it's, it's best displayed in his steadfast love that endures forever. And then I want you to note what he uses at the end of that sentence. It's not a question mark, right? He's not saying, uh, steadfast love endures forever, like maybe. 
He doesn't use it as a period of saying, like, statement of fact. <laughs> he says it with emotion. So the psalmist is pouring out his heart. And he's saying, I want you to get this. And guys, I believe, I believe the Bible is supposed to be read with emotion. Uh, I don't know if you read in a monotone voice, uh, but that will bring you a great disservice to the Word of God. So he comes in, and he says, his steadfast love is, is it's not just an action, it is his nature. It is who he is. When we get to, to 1 John uh, in chapter 4, uh, it'll tell us that, that, that God is love, and whoever abides in his love abides in God. And he'll say that, that, that love has made itself manifest among us in the sending of Jesus so that the world might live through him. And so, so we're called to, to give thanks because God is good since his love endures forever. But I've left out a word that we haven't even addressed yet. And it's so important to us. Because that's not all that's said in these verses about his love. It's, it's almost as if the psalmist, uh, I, I can imagine him trying to rewrite this line over and over again. Because he writes love and he's like, it's, it's, just, it's just not enough. So he needs a way to describe what kind of love is he talking about that endures forever. And so he uses this word. He says, he says steadfast which is an incredibly important word for us. When we translate it from uh, the Hebrew, it's the word hesed. H-E-S-E-D. Hesed. He says, he says we thank God, we, we, we thank God because He's good because of His hesed love, which, which simply, when we translate it, it means loyal. It means joint obligation. It means faithfulness. So in short, what He's coming in, he says, listen, guys, I want you to give thanks to God because he is good since he is the God whose love doesn't give up on us. He doesn't. Like he walks with us in every moment, in every circumstance, that he is loyal and he walks with us. But this leaves us with this follow-up question, where does this love meet our hearts? Right? I get that. I get you can tell me, bag, hey, God is good. We should love him. We should give thanks to him. But where does that love meet me? And verse 2 reveals it. It says, the psalmist says, those who have been changed by God's loyal love are the ones who should speak about God's loyal love because he has redeemed them from trouble. And this type of trouble will be the focus of the remaining week. Uh, through this psalm, but, but for today we can simply say that this is trouble that's either resulting from their own sinfulness or circumstances outside of their control. So, so, so God's love is evident in both of these cases. And the psalmist states that because of God's steadfast love that endures forever, He is good and He's deserving of thanksgiving. And, and the ones who should join Him in worship are those who, like the psalmist, have tasted this goodness firsthand. So if you're a believer in the great gospel of Jesus, this is you. As, as those who have been redeemed from trouble and gathered in from lands that we wandered in hopelessly. And so, so let's spend some time talking about this love 
that is so loyal and so enduring so that we can join with the saints in a way that is a fitting response really to the goodness of God. And for that, we go Romans chapter 8. And and this chapter, it falls in, in really some of the most important theological chapters of the bible and we could we could very easily one day when i grow up to be a real pastor um we're going to walk through the gospel through the the letter to the romans um because it is so important it's so thick and that we could spend we literally could spend years uh in just romans 7 8 9 and 10 um but we won't do that today uh but what paul is doing in this book is is helping the romans uh who who by the way uh, did not grow up typically necessarily with a jewish history or a jewish mindset uh, and he's trying to help them understand really how how sin ruins everything how it does no matter no matter what the sin is it might look like it's going to pay off but ultimately all sin ruins everything in our lives and he wants them to understand how sin broke covenant with god why god has gifted us first with his law as a way of being restored and then the power that comes secondly when Jesus lays his life down to fulfill the demands of the law. That's what he is just building out. It's like a court case, and it is brilliant. It is brilliant. And so, so what we get to learn as we walk through Romans is, is, typic- is specifically that Jesus lays his life down only to take it up again as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That's how we're restored uh, to the Father. And so, so when we get to chapter 8, Paul starts by, by focusing and, and helping us know that in Jesus, okay, and this is, uh, I, I think we said this two weeks ago when I was talking in our, our final session at camp, that, that in Jesus we have hope and that we are never beyond repair. Never. And, that, that, and he's going to end this chapter really with erupting worship and how our security rests in God's hest love his steadfast love for us and, and i've gone i've honestly i've gone back and forth on how much of romans chapter 8 do we deal with in one sitting um and i trimmed it all the way back to all of the verses of chapter 8 okay and so here's what we're going to do i'm going to read it over you and i'm going to try my very best to give minimal commentary in fact i only want to try to interject to make sure we're still on the same road all right um which is this will be the toughest task i think i'll have today all right, so here we go. Romans chapter 1, and he comes with something so incredibly huge. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God, okay, for who? For God, yeah, you're like, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so we we don't really have the time to catch up from from what's leading us into chapter 8, verse 1, because uh, really the, all of chapter 7 <laughs> leads us into it. Um, but, but I think verse 1 is even more profound when it has a lead-in. Uh, but, but basically, apart from Jesus, we are left powerless in our war 
uh, in the war for our hearts that's waging and raging between righteousness and sinfulness. Apart from Jesus, we're without hope. And so in Christ, we have hope and we're not beyond repair because we are set free. God has done for us what the law could not do. In Jesus, God condemns sin so that we can walk guilt-free with him. Let's go, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So he's creating these, these two lanes, right? So for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And this is important because when Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him, right? If you're a merged uh, teen, we, uh, Swine talked about this last Wednesday night. That So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, this is the primary reason why. That, that, that our flesh is hostile towards God because it will always seek to justify itself as the ultimate pursuit of all things. The world literally does revolve around me when I'm separated from Jesus. So, so for those of us who are in Jesus, we celebrate and we experience something much deeper and much, trans, uh, much more transformative. So verse 9, you, however, okay, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This is, I wish you'd put an exclamation point. That's big. That all who live by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so, so believers, in the good news of Jesus, we live according to a different way because we have life that's breathed back into us, which is... It's really part of our greatest need. Not that we're good or bad. We talk about this. Not that we're good or bad, but that we're dead and we need life. And that life comes in Jesus. And so God makes this possible so that we end up being debtors to him. But not debt in the way that we typically think of debt. Because when we feel like we owe somebody, we are beholden to them. And so we're forced to try to eliminate that debt. And well, the beauty of the gospel is there's not an amount you can pay back. But I think the beauty of the debt is that is that it's, it's not waved at us like a weapon waiting to assault us. It reveals us. It exposes us. But that debt is served as this reminder that no matter how much I try, I can't pay it back. And God says, yeah, exactly. That's why I've sent my son to rescue and to redeem you. And so all that's left in that debt is a debt of praise. 
Not, I don't have to muster up the courage to love Jesus. I don't have to walk into God, you know, on my hands and knees saying I'm, I'm, I'm completely unworthy because in Christ Jesus you are worthy. Not because of your own ability. And so, so what happens, guys, is this debt, it, it woos us as, as we are adopted as full heirs into the family as sons and, and daughters of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, which is really just the, the most intimate way of saying Daddy. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we're heirs. And, and we're heirs of God and we're fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be, may be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Man, guys, you, if you are in it right now, you need to put this verse on your mirror. And you need to be able to look at it over and over and over again. Because what it tells us is that there's a promise from God that this season won't kill you. It won't. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You want to see that played out? Just spend some time in the book of Revelation, okay? Don't be a chicken. Go in it. And you get to see God say, this is how I redeem it all. For creation, verse 22. All right? For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so, so you have received the Spirit of adoption as sons, and we cannot separate our hearts from the context of the passage. We can't. All, all the Spirit does for us as believers is because of what God has done to redeem us. The groaning of the Spirit serves as this deposit for future promises and, and future glory that's being revealed. And this is why Paul is telling us a lot, telling a lot of us in verse 15 in a very loving way, grow up. That's what he's saying. It's like, grow up, guys. And I think some of the benefits of the Spirit are about to be revealed Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved, and now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And those who are called according to His purpose. And so so we, we could live here for a while but and, and still only scratch the surface of its richness. But that God has gifted us with His Holy Spirit 
who speaks when we are speechless. Either, either when we see the glory of God or when the wind is knocked out of us because of the circumstance of our lives. That the Spirit walks with us through it all because of those great promises that all things work together for God's people. All things work together for God's people. Now the argument that typically is brought to the table is really one between God's pacing and our pacing. Because God at times likes to slow cook and we like to microwave. Okay? Which is why Paul says, hope that is not seen, uh, hope that is seen is no hope. But hope that is not seen, that's what you need to be paying attention to. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And we can just stop there for a minute and I'll be honest, this is a bit of quicksand um, and I'm going to try to go around it for, for time purposes except to say this, that you don't surprise God when you ask Jesus to be the, your Lord and, the Lord and Savior of your life. Okay? You don't. Uh, you, there are no sneak attacks when it comes to our sa- salvation. He's not like your toddler who you didn't realize was even in the room when they're pulling on your leg. And you're like, oh, I didn't even know you existed. But now you do. Right? Nobody walks into God and say, hey, guess what? I'm on your team now. And he's like, well, I didn't see this coming at all. Right? That's exact. I, I don't think that's what he sounds like. I think he sounds like much cooler than that. I apologize. Um, so now we come to verse 31. Okay, and we're, al- we're almost done. And, and with, with 31 comes kind of this crescendo of Romans 8, where Paul joins with the psalmist of 107 to help us see the reasons why we give thanks to the goodness of God for his steadfast love. Okay? He says this, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, is, who indeed is interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. He says, as it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And then he says this in verse 37, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who, what? Loved us. For I am sure, I love this. I, really, I, I don't think Paul and I can hang out very often because I don't think I'm serious enough for him. But I love when he says, for I am sure, because I believe he, believe, he knows this to be true. For I am sure 
that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord exclamation point nothing yeah there you go some of us aren't afraid of that and so so here we are right and for some of us in this room here's where you can be right so so the love of God is unstoppable and it's unbreakable that there is no true rival though many rivals will try to make an attempt to take his proper place many will try those of us who are wrapped in the love of God cannot be condemned by sin anymore. And then we do not have to stand for a charge from Satan. He's lost all of his power in the name of Jesus. He has. So we are justified and we are made righteous through, um, through Jesus. And the only way these truths become untrue is if they were, there were a competitor able to take God to the mat, which has never and will never happen. Can't do it. And so we can rest assured that nothing will change his heart for us and his ability to care for us as a perfect heavenly father loves his children. And so here's what this means. That days can be hard, but God is near. That we are more than conquerors. That God turns everything, okay? Everything. Even suffering, even death, into good. Regardless if you come to the table and say, you know, God, I, I can see your point here. That such an amazing reality, built on such amazing truths, deserves a response. It, it deserves a way of acknowledging what's taken place to redeem us and the security we're being afforded because this love is steadfast and it's loyal and it doesn't change of the waves or with the waves. So here, here's where we come back. We joined the psalmist back in 107. And now the beauty, the beauty of what the psalmist is saying is in 107 is even richer for us today because he didn't have Romans 8 to look back on. He didn't have the Gospels to walk through. So he comes back and he says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So if you're in Jesus, say so. If you're in Jesus, tell the world that the steadfast love of God endures forever through Jesus. For he, for, I'm sorry, who, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, who he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. I've run out of notes, so let's stop. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. As we dismiss, I'm going to pray us out, but I want to give you a couple of opportunities. If you, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the love of God, I plead with you, don't leave today without having at least a conversation about it. Uh, we'll have some people over here uh, who long to talk to you about how Jesus has changed their life.
If you need prayer today, we want you to be uh, to have the courage to go spend some time with some people. We believe that community is formed as we go through um, the difficulties and the celebrations of life. So if you need prayer this morning, don't leave without it. Okay? I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. And we give thanks with our lives because of your incredible love that's been poured out in Jesus. And we thank you specifically today how loyal that love is to us. I pray for those of us here who don't know you, that you would help them know that you are their greatest need in life. I pray for those who are going in a season where they feel weak, that they would find community. I pray for those who are in a season where they feel strong, that they would, they would provide support. Father, ultimately, I pray that the people of this church would leave this place declaring your goodness to all. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. And everyone said, amen. God bless. You are dismissed.